today on Compassion Radio. You know, it's interesting. No matter where you're at in the world, you can stop and you can pray for somebody. Yeah. And I had tried to get to Pakistan on several occasions, but never made it. And so I think that God just had me at that moment. For such a time as this. For such a time as this with those particular people, just to, to pray over them, to pray for them, and to remind them that God is still present, mm. even at this horrific time. Hello and welcome to the Daily Radio Journal of God's Work through the hands of God's people. We're glad you've joined us today. Yesterday we began a new conversation with a good ministry friend named Richard Nungesser. He's the president and director of Bread of Life Ministries based in Poznan, Poland. In programs past, we've learned from Richard how something as simple as a cup of hot tea can have eternal impact when it's given in the name of Jesus and at his instigation. We pick up part two of this interview, wrapping up the latest update on the work of Bread of Life among Ukrainian refugees and the lessons learned there. Remember, all of our episodes can be heard at any time in the podcast archive of our website, CompassionRadio.com. Really trusting God that he's in control and that he will restore us. He's in the business of reconciliation. There's nothing that we've done that's gone too far or, or what's been done to us that God can't restore and make beautiful in our life. And we can use our life and testimony to help other people in those same situations. And so many people feel like they have nothing to give, but then God says, okay, well, we'll rebuild you. You'll become something new. And if it takes resurrection, he'll do that. Yeah. yeah. So we look forward. What To wrap up our previous discussion here about Ukraine, what's next for them? And what do you, as Bread of Life, see is going to be the challenge and the opportunity of 2024? Yeah. So right now we're still providing aid. I think that aid will continue. It's interesting. You know, whenever something like this happens, there's a huge response. Right. They give generously and everything. But as these wars, they don't just finish in a few months or a year. They they go on for a long time. And even after the war, then there's complete utter destruction of, you know, things that took place emotionally in people, um, spiritually in people. People get weak and say, God, where are you in these moments? Uh, Then there's the infrastructure that has to be rebuilt. So moving forward with Bread of Life, we'll continue to provide the, the aid. Um, the food, you know, the shelter, the accommodations. We'll continue to minister to the best of our abilities. This thing continues to go, so we'll continue to go with it. We'll continue to grow, and we'll continue to love the Ukrainians, the refugees that are inside Poland and Moldova, and also inside Ukraine. Okay. Well, we'll stay with you, and we'll track that progress as we go. Yeah, thank you. We've been talking with Richard Nungesser of Bread of Life Ministries in Poland, and we're going to continue Now, with discussions about some of the other countries that we did not cover last time we talked to him about the work he's doing, and it's a kind of a world tour. You wanted to talk about countries like Pakistan and Rwanda, so tell me where you'd like to take me next. Tell me what God is doing with you and your people in those countries. Sure. Uh, I'll take you on a trip to Pakistan. So we started a soft start in Pakistan in 2019, we started working in 2020, and every time we start in a new country, we do our homework, we do our framework, we put together our plan, our teams, before we officially launch. And so we'd been working in Pakistan, and I wanted to get there earlier, uh, a couple of years ago, that ended up having a spinal surgery on my neck, I got a disc replacement. Mm. That was a very difficult time in our family and my my health. Yeah. And uh really wanted to go. And then I had a tickets and wanted to go a year ago, October, and got to LA and I was denied uh boarding. And so it was a really difficult time. Came back home, felt really defeated. 
like, God, you know, what is going on? And during this time, the ministry is developing and we're feeding, we're rescuing kids out of slavery. We started an educational program for women and sewing skills and also for men, created micro businesses, you know, we're able to generate income. So the ministry is growing all this time. And I was like, God, I just, I need to be there. So God allowed me to go this August and I finally made it there. So I landed in Lahore. I saw the weather is supposed to be like in the 80s. I said, oh, it's going to be beautiful. Eighties with I think <laughs> yeah. ninety nine or one hundred and ten percent humidity, <laughs> very mm-hmm. high. Feels like boiling. Yeah. Oh boy, this is hot and it's nighttime. <laughs> so, but we we drove and we got to uh, the home that I was staying at with our director. You know, talking about the projects that we've started. We want to go visit. See, we went to bed about four. Got up about eight a.m. to have breakfast. And as we were sitting there talking about the different locations we we're going to, going over our itinerary again, seeing the different projects, meeting different people, he started getting text messages on his phone that there's an attack on some Christian churches. It was just about an hour away from us, and I was scheduled to preach that night and to see several projects. Can I ask you which part of the country you were in? Yeah, the Punjab area. How big is the uh, district that Lahore sits in? I would probably compare it to like maybe Phoenix, okay. land-wise. I'm trying to think... Driving, they don't have the same systems that we might have here, so it takes a little bit longer. You expected to be involved with projects right away, and yet the call came in that attacks were happening against Christians. We laid low. We stayed inside. You know, it's interesting, too, in, in all my travels, I've been to about 45 countries now. Every country is different, and a lot of countries are homogeneous, meaning like it's just the original people group. You don't right. see a lot of expats or, or other missionaries or you know international people. But where I was staying near Lahore, there was no other expats. There's no other foreigners. I was the only one. Mm. I'm 6'4". I don't really blend in too well. <laughs> so Not in a country where the average height's about 5'5", five, five, yeah. Yeah, so we just kind of laid low for a moment and debated whether we should go preach that night. Mm. Because persecution is not uncommon, no. unfortunately. Most of the persecution I've read about is pretty um, violent in that it just suddenly explodes. It's like there's a, a very small uh, trigger but then it amplifies very, very fast. Yeah. I remember being on a Zoom call with our director there about a year ago. I was hearing his voice. It wasn't necessarily fear, but just about like an hour away from him, hour and a half, there was two Christian brothers that were stoned to death, mm-hmm. killed. And so that lingers in the air. Yeah. In the culture, there's that real sense of any moment. It could be something. When we arrived, there was attacks on some churches. And we started getting videos of the attacks. And it wasn't just one church. You know, by noon, it was, I think, maybe five or six churches. And by that evening, it was over 23 churches that were just ransacked. Completely everything pulled out of the churches, everything smashed, beaten with clubs, walls knocked down, crosses torn down off of churches, and then they were lit on fire and burned. 23 churches. And that night, too, we received information about 150 homes were also ransacked and burned. And in Pakistan, like here, maybe in the States or other parts of the world, You might drive or take public transportation to church. In Pakistan, you'll have your church, and the people live around the church. You don't drive half an hour to a church. You you walk to your church. And so the Christians live near the churches, but also within that framework, too. You have Muslims that are living there, too. But that evening, the pastor wrote where I was supposed to preach. He's like, hey, we're still going to have church. You guys coming? Okay. I thought, hey, this is a moment we're supposed to like lay low and hide, right? (laughs) Was that church still standing at that point? Yes, this wasn't in the city of Janawala. Okay. This was closer to us. And so I said, okay, I guess we'll, we'll go and preach. It's on the upper floor of a pastor's home. And I thought, you know, maybe they'll be quiet, not, you know, attract attention. And then they start singing. 
<laughs> they had the tambourine, they had the drums, and they were praising God. They were singing. They they didn't hide themselves yeah. um, under a bushel. You know, they 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 were singing. They were praising God. You know, we're talking in our team, and a lot of what Brother Life does is is we go to forgotten people. We go to people in desperate situations, and so our team's like, hey, we want to go to Janawala and see our brothers and sisters who are just persecuted and bring in some aid and help them somehow. I said, I'm in for it, but I don't think I should go. I might compromise our mission. You guys can blend in a lot better than I can, and you can go see the needs, and, and we can help the best that we can. Okay. After some time praying, and they're like, hey, we really want you to go with us. Now, that's a tough thing to hear there, Richard, because you're trying to, in humility, pursue discretion and caring for those who serve with you and watching out for them. So you did that very thing, and you prayed that through, and that was the answer that you felt was the responsible one to give. But they prayed, and their answer from the Holy Spirit was different than you expected. So you actually said yes to this? You actually went with them? I went, yeah. Um it, it wasn't necessarily with hesitation in a sense. No, I know you wanted to go. A lot of caution, I think. So we put together our safety protocols and everything else. Yeah. We drove there and we got to the Epic Center of where it took place. And, and driving into that city, you know, we saw a lot of the Pakistani Rangers, AK-47s everywhere, buses of Rangers and police everywhere. And it was almost an eerie feeling of a ghost town. Because just the day before, for 12 mm-hmm. hours, you know, mobs of 700 to 1,000 people just went and ransacked everything, destroyed everything. And the only reason they stopped is because the Rangers came out and started firing guns in the air, started arresting people and forced to stop. They said to stay in the car. They'll go into the first church. And if it's clear, they'll come and get me. And so I was in the back seat of the car. We had extra tinting on the windows and, and blinds so nobody could see that I was there. And they came back. They opened the door and said, hey, get out, come in. So as soon as I stepped out of the car, we walked into the first church and they had some quilts covering the door because it was completely destroyed. I thought I was moving fast enough. They said, no, hurry, hurry, hustle, hustle, get underneath. So I got underneath. And for the first time in my life in Asia, Africa, Europe, the Americas, I've stepped into a church and felt evil or hatred. I've never felt that before. Uh, It was really eerie feeling, not that the church was evil or hatred, but I think just took place just, you know, less than 24 hours before in this particular church. You felt the curse. Yeah. I looked to my left and there was about 20 to 25 cell phones with their lights on and they all looked at me. Mm-hmm. And I thought, well, either they're friendly or they're not. This is it. And they came over and one by one, they said, hey, brother, thank you for being here with us. There were pastors, mm-hmm. there were church members who came back for the first time since the attacks. Now, you felt the sense of evil all around you as kind of an, almost a physical presence, I imagine. That was something that was literally weighing down on you. And you step into this bubble near a person and suddenly you're within their sphere. Did you sense that you were stepping into the kingdom when they would approach you and that the evil was being held back? Or what was the what was your physical and spiritual response going from that oppression you felt around you to being in the presence of believers who were thankful that you were there? Yeah. It was comforting when they came up and like, Hey brother. It was a reminder, it's like, Hey, not just friend, it's brother. It's it's family. Yes. It's part of the family of God. And I think there was a lot of comfort yeah. and strength in that and also courage that they, they were there. Yes. They, they weren't, you know, hiding, although people were hiding for their lives, yes. uh, but they were there. They took courage from God. One particular moment, this older gentleman grabbed my hand, said, come with me. And he took me from home to home and showed me just the complete destructions mm. of roofs caving in there on fire. And in, in that church and every single home I went into and every single church that night, you can still feel the heat radiating out of the walls and just the the mm. smell of everything that was burned. He was taking me through the, the streets there into each home. It looked like a war zone because motorcycles, yeah. carts that were used for donkeys, refrigerators, 
fans, clothing, toys, anything. They, they pulled out to the streets and they burned. I kept expecting to step over dead bodies. There was so much destruction. Thankfully, there weren't any bodies in the streets. Everything was still so fresh and, and smoking. And he took me to a church. He said, look, this church, everything is gone. But on this table, there was burned pages of the Bible. And the pastor let me have those pages of the Bible. Later, I asked uh, our director, I said, hey, do you know what books these pages are from? Because they're charred, like not all the pages there. And he's like, hey, this one's from 1 Samuel. And then this one particular page was from the book of James. It's the very first page of the book of James. And we know how James starts. It says, consider it pure joy, my brothers, when you face trials of many kinds, because you know the testing of your faith produces perseverance, and perseverance must finish its work in you, so that you may mature, complete, lacking nothing. Encouragement from the Word inspiring stories from the front lines of faith, and awesome opportunities to make a difference for the kingdom around the world. But we need your help right now to continue doing just that. Please take a moment today to consider how you might help us to accomplish our unique media ministry and mission. Or call our toll-free order line, 1-800-868-2478. Box 77160, Corona, California, 92877. Again, that's Box 77160, Corona, California, 92877. And now, back to the broadcast. And he's like, hey, this one's from 1 Samuel. And then this one particular page was from the book of James. It's the very first page of the book of James. And we know how James starts It says, consider it pure joy, my brothers, when you face trials of many kinds, because you know the testing of your faith produces perseverance, and perseverance must finish its work in you, so that you may mature, complete, lacking nothing. And I think, I was like, wow, these people just went through persecution on a large scale of generational destruction, because the people there make 60, 80, 100, maybe $200 a month. So what was destroyed? It'd take them generations to rebuild. I stepped out of that church and, and met a pastor who just came back for the first time to see his church. And I just tried to give him these words, take courage, be brave. And he says, our morale is still here. God is with us. We're going to be okay. And when he said that, at that moment too, I, I just kind of felt like something's off. Something's not right. And my director's like, we got to move. We've got to move now. And so we went and hid in another home and in some more homes and churches. We moved the car and then it went and saw more destruction, walked into another church and just everything, everything destroyed. Came out of that church and there were several people on phones that were calling other people and said, hey, there's a foreigner here. Wow. What should we do with them? Yeah. So at that moment, he overheard that conversation. He said, get in the car. We got to go now. So we ran, got in the car. We relocated. <laughs> but then we found some people hiding in the field, sleeping out that were persecuted, had no home to go back to. So we stopped, we prayed for them, and then we left. Rich, let me stop you there for one second about the exercise of prayer in the middle of a war zone, which is what this is. You have nothing in your hands at this point. You're not carrying with you relief rucks and packs of foodstuffs. You're just seeing for the first time. that The only function you seem to be able to have is being able to bear witness to what's happening. You kneel down next to somebody and you start praying for them because you believe it's the only thing you can do. Yeah. How do you feel about doing that? And do you feel like it's almost defeat to do nothing else but to pray? Or is there something else that happens that makes prayer more powerful than you've ever known it? Yeah. You know, the story of Peter going to the gate called Beautiful, 
where the person is asking, hey, silver and gold, give me something. And Peter's like, silver yeah. and gold we do not have. But what we do have is the name of Jesus, get up and walk. And I think at those moments, too, like that child in Kenya at nine years of age, for him, it wasn't about the, the bread. The bread was nourishment. But for him, he needed something more important than the bread, something that mm-hmm. could sustain and fulfill him. And I think, too, sometimes in these moments, people just cry out to God. Yes. Material things aren't going to fix what you just went through, the trauma that you just experienced. The fact that you're hiding in sugarcane fields or hiding on a mat, you have no place to go and everything that you've worked your entire life for, gone. So when you start to pray, you're praying in a way that you're saying, God, I don't know what to pray for. Put something in my heart and mind that makes sense to you and that they need prayed for. Give me something. You're looking for leadership from the Holy Spirit himself about that. And I've sensed it before myself that if you're willing to listen and let God envision into you, you start seeing things. You start getting snippets of stuff. You may not even understand what they are, but you start praying those things because they're in your heart now. And then God starts adding that up on the hearts and minds of those you're praying for that it makes sense to them, even if it doesn't make sense to you. And because you were there to do it, you literally have become the voice of the Spirit speaking blessing and comfort over them. So what was it like for you to be praying for people in their situation and feeling as a human being, I have no idea what they're really going through, or I can see the disaster, but I don't even know what to do to start to help. So what did you do when you were prayed for them? Yeah, you know, it's interesting. We talked about before, no matter where you're at in the world, you can stop and you can pray for somebody. And I had tried to get to Pakistan on several occasions, but never made it until this day. And so I think that God just had me at that moment. For such a time as this. For such a time as this with those particular people, just to to pray over them, to pray for them, and to remind them that God is still present, Mm. even through this horrific time. For the Christians, they endure not on this scale, but they endure hardships that maybe other parts of the world don't endure such persecution. So I I really pray, like I I told that pastor, I just prayed for courage for them, for trust and bravery. It could be very easy to be timid. You get persecuted or peer pressure, switch your religion, do this or that just to accommodate, to appease people. But they're standing for their faith. They're standing for what's right and for their belief. I'm sure maybe some get weary, but I think God's there as a testimony to remind them that that he's still there and he's still faithful, even though evil things happen to them. Okay, so the word that God had for them was stand strong. And you were able to speak that from your own language, have it translated, have them hear it. So you did the work that God had called you to do, but it's still got to be devastating. You had to witness things that you can't fix. And now you have pages sitting on your desk. And even if those physical pages you took from a church in Pakistan are not in front of you, every time, I'm sure of this, that you read James 1 from now on, you're going to smell the smoke. And I think that's what James was doing too when he wrote it. He was smelling the smoke of the persecutions in Jerusalem and throughout the Roman Empire. So you've, I think, slipped into a real sense of the immediacy of God's reaching out to the people across the uh, Christian diaspora that James was writing to. It was urgent for them to hear these words. Yeah, and you're right, too, because no matter where you're at, if you feel God calling you to pray for somebody, Yeah, don't hesitate. You know, just pray for them. It might seem awkward to you, mm-hmm. but it's going to be exactly what God needed for that person in the life. Plus, as you do that, God's going to be strengthening and maturing and working in your own life Yes, to change you to be more like him. Yeah, it's like if there's anything I would be encouraging my fellow believers here in the States to be brave about is to be courageous enough to open your mouth when God says open it, Yeah, to pray over people, pray to him, and not be so concerned about how you look in front of others when you're talking about God. 
God wants us to open our hearts up, especially on behalf of those who are not brave enough to open their own lips right then. They feel like God has condemned them or God is punishing them because of what's around them. And they need to hear words of presence and comfort and encouragement because God needs them to hear his spirit say, you are not forgotten. Yeah, That's what I encourage all our listeners to do when they hear stories like this is to start, as James might even say, lead with your knees. Be in a place that the sermon you preach starts with an ache in your knee and flows through your heart and out your lips. Yeah. Yeah. I had a car to get into. Yes, you did. I had a different location to go to at the time that was safe. For these brothers and sisters, they had no place to go. Yes. And I asked, you know, the the Christians there in Pakistan and said, well, the question is, well, can't you move to a different spot? (laughs) Yeah. Well, they can at great cost. Yeah, you can at great cost financially. Maybe sometimes impossible, but whoever the next city you go to, the same challenges are there. Yes, they are. And they endure a lot. You know, when I got home back to where we're staying outside of Lahore, I was like, do I tell my wife what just happened and what took place, you know, what I did, Mm. or do I wait till I get back, you know, from (laughs) Pakistan? And I called on the phone. I told her, she's like, you know, you went silent. I either figured you were in jail, Mm. kidnapped, or you were dead. Mm. But, you know, those thoughts go through your mind. But there's people in in desperate situations that need us as Christians to be bold, to to be courageous, and and to go. Um, I think we can go to be smart. But we've seen other missionaries that go that have been smart, but still get persecuted, thrown in jail. The disciples, others that have been murdered, killed for the faith. Yes. But I think it's a great testimony of people before us to live out their faith, Um, not to be timid, but still to be smart, safety protocols in, in place. So we can be an encouragement and a help to those that are going through such difficult situations. And I agree that there's nothing smart or wise about marching in, assuming that they're going to love what you have to say and that the reason you're there is to speak or teach. Often it's just to be there with those who suffer. And I don't think Americans have a, a great sense of that until they actually spend time with those who suffer, that the ministry you have of showing up is a real one. And you were willing, in fact, you fought very hard to get to this country. And I'm certain that God was giving your wife some insight and wisdom about how to pray for you during those times. Because if she's assuming that it has to be this, this, or this, of the characteristics of those experiences, being locked down, being prohibited from moving, being in fear or under attack, those are the kind of things that were on her heart and mind that God put in her heart and mind to pray for you. Yeah. And they have reasons for that. So when you were able to give testimony, this is what God brought me through. It confirms, I'm sure of this, in your wife's heart, that Brooke was praying on the same wavelength as the Holy Spirit himself. Yeah. Yeah. I think even for my wife praying for me, but us as believers from around the world, mm-hmm. we could be praying for each other. Yes. A lot of our brothers and sisters are going through such persecution like this. Yes, daily. We can stand with them in that struggle and what they're going through. And you saw things in Pakistan that were going to be echoed very soon thereafter in Manipur, India. I spent time talking through all this with John Padiety of Bibles for the World and their ministry in Impal in that area of northeastern India next to Burma. Yeah. It's been horrendous for them as well. Yeah, It's not a foreign thing to the experience of Christianity across all of South Asia right now. So I'm honored that you have the opportunity to stand with them and be with them and crawl through the mud and get under the blankets to sit with those who didn't know if God remembered them. Thanks for being willing to be there. Well, thank you, brother. I'm glad those two other times I tried to get to Pakistan, God closed those doors, so he allowed me to be there at that moment. He put a real pain in your neck to keep you away from it at those times. He did. I got a disc for that. 
I hope you'll thank God for faithful kingdom servants like the Nungessers and that God will continue to prosper the work of Bread of Life Ministries around the world. From stumbling and fix your eyes on the mark on the prize as you go may you Receive His grace to love all men In spite of all differences May Your words be filled with light That crumble walls of fear and Take up the cross to serve the least and the lost. As you go, be the hands of God. Passion Radio is still the radio voice of the global church, and that's completely due to the Lord's provision through you. Give online today at CompassionRadio.com, or call us at 1-800-868-2478. Or write us, P.O. Box 77160, Corona, California, 92877. God bless you, friends.